0: Hi, guys, welcome back to this week's episode of the Mastering Agility Podcast, a podcast series that aims to inspire you and others by bringing in the best people of the business, whether those are trainers, coaches, consultants, or in this case, even Formula One performance engineers. But more on that in a bit. Before we go into the content, I would like to ask you to go to the website of MasteringAgility.org, subscribe to that newsletter, stay up to date with the latest information when it comes to this podcast, for instance, with this week's episode and the giveaway. Next to that, I would also love to hear from you what you like about this podcast, what we can do better, what kind of future speakers you would want to hear. You can do that on the Podchaser platform, and the link is included in the show notes. Now, for those who have been listening for more than one episode, know that I'm a huge fan of Formula One, and I see a big overlap between that agile mindset that we usually speak of and the ability to learn and pivot and change. And between races in Formula 1. And in this week's episode, we're having Formula 1 performance engineer Ernesto Ernie Desiderio talking about that Formula 1 performance engineering, and he has been in Formula 1, in Le Mans, as well as in NASCAR, so this dude knows what he's talking about. Personally, I love this episode because it's close to my heart, and I'm sure you're going to love this one as well. Let's dig in. Ernesto, Ernie Desiderio, thank you very much for being here. Appreciate you taking the time to be here with us. How are you doing?
1: Hi, Sander. My pleasure. Really my honor to be here with you guys and have a little chat today um, about motorsports. That's, uh, that's, uh, that's our passion. So it's nice to talk about with people that love it.
0: Absolutely. And today specifically, we're going to be talking about performance engineering, that's what you've been doing what does a performance engineer do so performance
1: engineer is a is a very broad um uh job so you you if you if you look at it from a from a far like point of view then you realize that performance means everything and means nothing so generally you are the the responsible person um for the team for that car um of the car performance in its own like general. So you're looking at driver performance, car performance, aero
0: performance,
1: uh, tire performance. Um, You try to pull everything together. Of course, a such a big um, chunk of stuff that you need to look at that you cannot do everything by yourself. So you act. uh, It depends. It varies from team to team, but my experience is that the performance engineer takes a little bit of uh, inputs from other engineers uh there is an aero performance engineer there is a tire performance engineer sometimes there is a driver coach um, there is a energy system engineer there is a um, a control engineer and you try to put everything together um, and trying to extract the best of the package that you've given um and and so that it performs on on track so If you want to summarize it, Sander, then maybe uh, basically a performance engineer plays with the car and plays (laughs) with the driver. Try to uh, be as fast as possible.
0: But how do you make sure that you mentioned a lot of different people working together? How do you make sure that you still have an overview of all those different aspects?
1: Yeah, so uh, it it all comes down in the end as every job to um, a, a team of people that are able to work together. Um in the end you need to be able to uh um understand what other people are looking at. Um so you need to have a little bit of a knowledge of the different um areas that you're gonna have uh to uh, take decision about. Um you need to be able to do that those analyses by yourself as well because you know you, there are people that are looking, but in the end it's your responsibility. So you need to uh dig deeper if you think it's worth it and and then you need to make sure that the team around you supports you and gives you what you need to take the uh, appropriate decision in the end is a very um involved team sport um formula one so um it's not it's never down to uh, a single person like everybody has to uh has to uh, push in the same direction and uh, and and if that if that happens you see the results and uh and it makes your life easier, especially in such a um, tight environment as a weekend in Formula One, you know
0: yeah, I can imagine speaking of of such a weekend, I can imagine that that takes a toll on you as a person as well. How do you make sure that your mental health is being maintained i mean there are, currently there are twenty three races each uh, in in a year throughout the year, you guys fly all over the world. How do you make sure that you cope with this mentally?
1: Yeah that's a that's a very really good point you're making it's a very tough um schedule for everybody it's not the only championship that is so tough from lawan you know i've been working with like nascar um teams and uh, and they do 36 races per year um it's less the traveling is less extensive but it's very uh, yeah, it's very demanding as well so when you do such a job you uh it, it takes a toll on your life, absolutely. So you need to have people at home that support you. You need to have family, friends, wife, girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever um, you have at home, you need to make sure that he's there and it supports you um, in the effort that you're doing. Cause in the end, this is a job but for most of us, for the 99% of us is a passion and you do it because you love it. And you've done, you, you know, you look back when once you're there and you start you almost start complaining but then you look back and you see all the sacrifices that you've made to get where you are and you cannot really complain because you know you love what you do and that that keeps you know the energy up and there is also the rush of the weekend you know when you're it's it, the weekend a race is not is not something that you turn up at the track and you know what to do there is a pre-race there is a weekend and there is a post-weekend uh job so you can split the job in these three big chunks and the traveling part at one point you need to leave your house and go and 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 it starts to you know become real you jump on a plane you see other people there in other teams um and uh you all travel together towards like a, a remote place somewhere in the world and you have had to uh, you have to do your own work so you need to be ready um then you go to the truck and that's where the adrenaline starts to kick in um it's tough for us engineers super tough for the guys the mechanics and you know they travel one day earlier sometimes two days earlier than us and they come back one day later so um and you know their job is more physical but still you know a mechanic in front of one is it's not a mechanic it's like a is someone that really knows what he's doing with his hand and he's doing it at a level with a speed that is incredible. Like the guys that I see in the garage, they're always like magicians for me, you know, when they put their hands, they know they put together such a complex cars. It's incredible. So yeah, it's a lot of, a lot of effort. Um, adrenaline kicks in, you need to have support at home. And if you know, if you keep your problems at, at work and you don't bring them at home, then I think that's the, that's the environment that keeps you going in such a schedule.
0: So supportive, coming back to the question, the supportive home situation would be how you personally keep your mental well-being maintained.
1: Yeah, so I, when I'm when I'm back at home, I try to pull the plug as much as possible, um, spend time with, with my wife. Um, spend time with my friends. Um, really, like I need every time I come back from a race. You know, I'm I'm useless. I'm so tired. <laughs> uh, the adrenaline, the adrenaline goes away, and you realize you have been working, and a stupid amount of hours in like four days, and uh, and you come back. You still need to analyze everything and do a, do some analysis, do some report, and start preparing for the race after. But what I found that works very well for me is that if I come back on a Sunday night at 3 a.m. Monday, I, uh, I do the bare minimum that I'm required to do. And then I try to, um, take the rest of the day, um, for myself. So, you know, a bit of sport, um, a dinner, dinner outside, just try to reconnect because that's, that's what happened. Like you disconnect from the world, from your life for like three, four days, sometimes two weeks you know, we have, you have just seen like a triple header. So the guys have have been gone for like three and a half weeks now. And uh, you need to come back and reconnect with your life. So I try to do that as much as possible also, because, you know, who is waiting at home is is doing, is making a sacrifice that is as big as yours, if not bigger, because when you go, the time travels so fast, you know, the days just snaps on you and, and you're, you're at the end of the day and you're like oh my god i need to finish this and that and that maybe when you are, when you're at home uh, it's definitely a little bit um longer um sitting there and waiting for somebody so um, yeah, yeah you need to come back and jump into life as as fast as possible
0: that that really requires you to have an agile mindset to be able to shift put places put issues in their in their place as well and it's it's, yeah. it's funny from that perspective, because I've been a formula one fan for over 20 years. If I watch the weekends, the races, it seems to be like such a glitter and glamor around the surroundings and area and it's top notch. And it seems all to be absolute magic. Like you mentioned before, like for instance, Max Verstappen crushing, crushing his car on the way to the grid, just the lap before the race. And then in a couple of minutes, the, those engineers were able to recreate the entire front structure of the wheel. So that's indeed magic. But you also mentioned you were working in NASCAR. What for you is the difference in performance engineering when it comes to NASCAR and Formula One?
1: Yeah, so I, I've been working in NASCAR, in, in, in like with the NASCAR teams, with IndyCar teams, in, in LMP1, in the WEC. So I've, I've had like a, a very... Uh, broad like experience with bit racing and and in the end you know it's surprisingly very similar like you uh you uh, the car is different so the amount of complexity that is in the car it definitely like changes the bar um but so it does the the gaps that you have between one car and the other and in nascar if you look about it um it's like 40 cars they are like in a uh three tenths, you know, three, four tenths, whereas like in Formula One, 20 cars are in three and a half seconds today. So, um, it's very competitive when you get to those series, NASCAR and IndyCar, like all the cars being like, um, closer one to each other, even though they are not, and they're very com- complicated, even, even though if they, even though they don't seem like, but, you know, I was super surprised when I, uh, I had the pleasure to work with this team there, RCR and, um, and, um, it was like impressive, the level of detail that the guys were going into the level of simulation, the level of, you know, complexity of the car, which in the end, I didn't know anything about, but I, I realized that it's a completely different world, and, you know, a lot of respect for those guys, um, you know, that, that over racing is way more difficult than it looks um you know being european and looking overseas you think oh they're only turning left man come on (laughs) nothing can be more wrong than that you know i uh, i experienced it on my on my skin and definitely you know when the operating window is much smaller because you know you're turning you you have like it seems there are two turns but actually four corners in a novel, and um is you need to optimize something that is like more, more, um, it's like a, a smaller target if you want, you know, you need to shoot with something at a smaller target. So you need to be way more precise, uh, to be successful. And, uh, and the level of detail that is required at that point is very high. Um, I was really surprised in the end, you know, the approach from a performance point of view. Is almost the same. You try to play with the tools that you have, with the uh, with the scope that you have to try to optimize the the package, the driver. Um, you try to use everything that you have at the maximum level so that you don't you do not leave any stone unturned. If you want, um, if the approach is always the same, the challenges are different. You know when you're doing a twenty four hour Le Mans race performance and the reliability have a different ratio one to the other compared to a two-hour race in Formula One or a four-hour race in, in NASCAR maybe like interrupted by a uh, you know two red flags and a caution so um, you need to you need to um, really uh, look look the challenge that you have in front of you and try to understand where are the gains that that's the nice part of my job that even though series are different but The challenge is always the same. You get as far, as far as possible in the, in the least amount of time as possible. So, um,
0: yeah, I think that's a good, good segue to scope because what the agile teams that I work with in general in business agility also struggle with is scope. Like we can do so much there. We, we have this backlog of items that we can work on. How do you guys decide on, okay, we can change all this stuff on the car. But how do you decide which goes first and which goes last? What's the pro- how do you prioritize in Formula One or in NASCAR or in LMP Le Mans? What goes first?
1: Yeah, so uh, changes on the car and what you work on the setup is is very specific to any to every single truck and to every car. Um, in general, the approach is you do your homework back at home. Uh, it's all about preparation in the end. Um, nowadays it's very difficult that you, uh, you find something during the weekend, uh, based only on what you have done during the weekend. You, uh, you do in reality, a lot of background preparation when you're back at home, uh, using your simulation tools, using, using your simulator, um, putting together the data from the previous races, you know? You look. You you you, uh, you analyze the previous race, races and you realize that you've done something that has improved a single part of the car, single like you know performance of the car through a certain type of corner, and you realize, oh look, I can use this one maybe in that track as well, where I have these sequence of corners that are similar. So you you really like try you you as as much as the season progresses, you you pieces the the information together and in the end it's kind of like putting together a big puzzle because imagine in formula 1 you start with a car that usually is different from the year before so you need to um you need to build up to it so it's like a new exam when you're at, at, at the university so every year is a new car every year is a new aeromap uh, the aeromap changes because they, they, the the aero department works relentlessly to bring brings up uh, to bring up upgrades to the car so the characteristic changes and you need to keep up with it. Um, every, every truck has a different, um, um, challenge, uh, so you need to, you know, in one truck, you're more worried about the brakes and one is a more, you're more worried about the performance of the car in a certain area. So to answer your question, you prepare a lot of this stuff back at home and, you know, and, and once you do this, you have a big matrix of, of stuff that you prepared and you know that, you know, if your limitation is high speed, um, instability, Or is like low speed exit or, you know, you have all these various possibilities uh, of performance limitation and based on what you have done back at home and what the people back at home are doing while you are at the truck, you find the answer to your limitation when it comes up. And if you have done your things properly, as soon as it comes up, what the limitation is, then you know what to do oh yeah I, I know that that's that's the limitation so i'll go towards this direction rather than a mechanical change
0: so you try to something create like some sort of a threshold in a hypothesis and see how that works you mentioned the different tracks throughout the year is that something that you map as well scenario mapping so in in this high speed track it has x effect so that we so we think in these and these tracks it's going to do the same thing is that something like th- yeah. those scenarios that you really visually map out
1: absolutely uh, let me give you an example like like trucks like uh silverstone and paul Ricard you know um Silverstone you have a lot of like high speed corner you know through the section of like maggots and beckets and then and, and, and cops and and um it's very hard on the tire uh you know also because the the track roughness is in a certain way and you know you uh, you tend to wear the front tires. Um, and maybe, you know, um, you've been to a poor Ricard, um, and, um, you have experienced like a similar situation with your, what we, with, with your tie wear and, um, and you know, there are a couple of corners, like, for example, like a Ricard corner, number 10 senior, the left hand after the, the straight in the mistral, then you, you get there at 330, 320 KPH and you turn in and you know, in the race, you need to uh, manage your tire around that section, maybe. And um, and maybe you want to do the same. If you learn something there, for example, uh, and you realize, oh, look, I've done this, I've done that to the car. And maybe, you know, I-, I was able to carry a bit more speed through there and still have a decent tire wear. Then you analyze it, you understand why, and then you reapply it to Silverstone.
0: Is that something that you can adapt through such a weekend as well? Or during during a race even, uh, if you measure this, I mean, these cars are loaded with sensors. But if you look at the 2020 season where Lewis Hamilton was able to finish the car on three wheels, which obviously required a, a deep inspection of, okay, this, these and these uh, corners are tire wearing heavy. Let's put it like that. Is it something that you can inspect and communicate with the drivers during such a race?
1: Yeah, yeah, you know it from the Fridays. Um, so during the test, you, you uh, the free practice, you, uh, you go through some set of tire and you understand your wear, and uh, and then based on the data that you collect those days, you, uh, you actually prepare for the race and you know. You know, you have all the data to study. It. The people back at home have all the data to study, it. and in the end, all together as a team, you come up with a strategy on, on maybe it's what is a one stop, maybe it's a two stop, and if it's a two stop, then how much do I have to manage? If it's a one stop, then I will have to manage more. So, is it really worth it? The lap time loss versus the uh, one stop less. So there, there are like a lot of like cross functional um decision to be made and discussion to be had and and that's where I really like the teamwork really comes into play and and um and you need to have a good pe- good team of people that is able to work together and is not only looking at his own little area otherwise you can you know the strategies come comes up saying you the best strategy is a, is a one stop and the, the tire engineer comes up saying oh no, you need to manage. You need to do this and this and this, and, and it's like you're lapping like one seconds lower. And then at that point, the single stop is not a, 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 the optimal strategy anymore. So you need to revise that. Um, so you need to have a lot of people that are looking into this, and 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 in the end is a very uh, like a multi-directional problem that you need to solve. And you prepare everything. Um, Based on the data that you collect, so as you said, that the cars are loaded with sensor, and you have those sensors, we have those data data to study, and then back at the factory, you know, the big teams are also using their models um, to uh, run like race simulations and and you know see foresee different scenarios um, and prepare based on what it can happen. For example, you mentioned earlier, just to give you an idea of like what how preparation makes it, can make a difference. Um, you mentioned earlier like um when Red Bull had that problem, um and, and Max crashed and they changed their corner uh on the pit lane. That that's the mechanics have done an incredible job, but in the end the back the background of it is that they have you know, they have foreseen this situation, this possible scenario. So they prepared in advance for it. I and mean, maybe when they did it, um they they, uh, they had the problem and they didn't have the corner ready. So they, uh, they didn't, uh, race, but, uh, you know, they learn from that. They, and now in their procedure is to have like corners, that are like prepared in case you snap one of them in the formation lap or in the, in the lap to grip, then you, uh, you train your mechanics to do that changes in as little time as possible and you can still make it out for the race. And that's it's all it's all down to preparation again. Yeah,
0: it's insane the way that these things are handled and, and, and tackled, and these different scenarios are, are being yeah being prepared. Indeed, I, I think one of the interesting parts here is as well is, is tire supplies. So Pirelli is the current tire supplier for the Formula One teams. Now, in the coming race, in or by the time this episode airs, it's already the the last race on Jeddah. A really fast paced track, high speed corners as well. Let's say now going back to the scenario of Lewis Hamilton on three wheels, uh, we learn, we gather data from such a scenario. Is that something that you discuss with Pirelli as well? So now this is what we learned from this uh, this track. Jeddah is going to be a high speed track as well. It's really demanding on the tires. It's going to be a hot weather. So it's probably the rubber is going to be degrading even faster than it was in Silverstone. These are our findings. What can we do to prevent this happening from uh, happening again in tracks like Jetta? Is it something that you continuously discuss, or is it something that Pirelli just says, here are your tires and good luck with it?
1: Yeah, usually Pirelli does this, that you have described it, uh, by themselves. So they're very they're very capable company to do this stuff by themselves. So they look after that um and they they have the layout of the truck um of course until they have not got to the truck they don't know about they don't know the roughness of the of the truck so they don't know how aggressive the tarmac is but i'm sure they do studies to uh understand what are the loads from simulation what are the loads um that the tire is going to see um then i'm sure they have models that at them out to predict the uh, correct tire compound um for that for that race and of course you know if they are undecided between one compound and another they have to go for the safer option um because in the end you know reliability comes comes first um in these cases um but yeah y- y- our input in this case as as teams is not i mean th- there are discussions uh but i don't think you know you have a lot of tools to uh Go tell them what they do. They, they do their own job and they do it very well. So it's, um, uh, we, we just get the tire that, that they chose and, uh, try to uh, work with
0: them. All right. Now you as performance engineer, you guys, and then the aero engineers as well, and the, 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 team, the, the um, the, the more than team coaches, etc. you are mandated to make the decisions for yourself. Now relating this back to business agility teams in business themselves in, in for instance software engineering they sometimes struggle with making these decisions having that decentralized decision making what do you see is in for in motorsport teams is the most powerful thing that creates you having a position and being able to make those decisions being, and being empowered to do so
1: yeah yeah that's um that's a very good question. It relates, as you're saying, to have every kind of like working environment in the end, you know, decentralized decision sometimes can be um, very helpful, sometimes can be um, a problem. Um, I think the the most important thing is to create an environment where everyone under certain circumstances can take a decision if it's needed. You know, if you have a decision to be made and is uh, crucial that you make it on the spot, you know, in a company, the timeframes are different, but on track, I sometimes have to take decision based on a data that I see scrolling on my screen. And that's uh, like a, a second, you know, three seconds. And you need, I need to say something. Um, the most important thing, as I was saying, is to have a, um, an environment that allows you to make mistakes. Um, there, there doesn't have to be a, a finger pointing culture, if you want, you know, you can take, you can, you can make a a decision. Um, and you can, in in the end, if it's a calculated decision, then it's gonna be a a decision that can be wrong or can be right, or can be half and half. The important thing is that once you've done it, once you have decided something and taken action on it, I think you need to have a good analysis of what you have done what were the parameters, learn from what you have done, either if it's a good decision or even more if it was a mistake and, and try to uh, piece it together so that you don't do it twice uh, if it was a mistake and you understand what you have done well and what were the, uh, you know, the, the key points that brought you to take a good decision that helped out in the end um, and and you store that in your, in your personal library, you know, that's, that's, that's basically like the process of, um, of improvement. That is, it needs to be freed up without like, without, um, environment that are going to, you know, say, it was your fault that, um, so that, that wasn't a good decision, why did you take it? Sometimes you have to, and the the difficult thing is to explain yourself later so you need to be prepared to uh, um to explain somebody what you have done so every t- in my in my experience every time I've, I've i've made a decision and 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 i had to report to somebody else to say what why what to answer to the question why have you done that um i've always spent a lot a lot of awful like time to uh study it and go through it and and really try to understand if I would have done the same or what I could have done better. Um, and if I couldn't have done nothing better, then try to motivate why. Um, and at the same time, you know, this culture has to go both ways. Because when, you, when you're when you going to tell somebody what you have done, maybe somebody thinks it di- in a different way. So you need to be very open and accept everything that comes at you and learn from it. If If the culture is this one, then I think you're you're on the on the good side of the learning curve
0: i think it even goes three ways for instance looking at ferrari um i think that's that's a a really great example The, the the examples that you're mentioning are very team intrinsic they are very looking into the team itself and how the culture within the team is and i really appreciate your examples but if i look at ferrari for instance if ferrari does something wrong they are immediately bashed by the Italian media. And it's the same with, with Spanish and, and football. How do you make sure that this doesn't affect your ability to still work on on the performance too much? I mean, Formula One is always on the, on the, in the limelight. It's always in the spotlights. How do you make sure that this doesn't, this enormous pressure, especially when working for instance, with yeah. Ferrari and the Italian media, that this doesn't affect your ability to still make those decisions.
1: Yeah, I I, uh, I cannot speak for um, for how Ferrari do because um, I don't know. I've, I've never worked there, but um, I can tell. Like even even in other teams or in other series, for example, where I've been involved, um, you are such a you are under like such a huge pressure. You know, I used to work in Toyota, and we were doing the twenty four hour Le Mans. Um, still, like you're you're competing in the biggest race um, that you have, uh, and and the pressure is very high you know at that point we haven't won it yet as a toyota so um it was the year you know that that the car stopped at the at the, almost the last lap um at three minutes to go and and the year after where we had a, pro- a few problems so when you are under pressure like that and you need still need to take a decision um in the end when you're working you don't really think about it you uh you're focused, you're so focused on what you're doing that um it just uh, it's filtered out. Like I've never had the um, perception of external pressure coming from outside the team. I had initially when I was a little bit more junior. Like pressure, like I was um, um, affected by the by you know the natural pressure of like your boss looking at you. Uh, but I, I had to learn very, very soon to isolate that as well, because it comes as a, um, it just like takes your brain power away and you, there is no time for, um, indecision sometimes, especially, you know, you need to consider the thing that I always say, um, to the guys that I work with, like, you know, that you have a driver in the car. That's a person with a family, with a life. Um, And, you know, you need to make sure that the thing that he's driving is safe first. Uh, So there is no time for not thinking or or being unsecure, being afraid to give the wrong answer. You know, a a wrong answer sometimes is still an answer if it's an action to take. But, you know, the worst thing that I... uh, I can experience what I'm truckside is radio silence. You know, you ask some, something to somebody and no one is coming back to you and you need an answer. So at that point you need somebody that's saying, look, I'll, uh, I'll have a look, I'll come back to you. Or you need somebody with an answer. Um, but if you have no answer, then it's really dangerous at that point. And, and if you have to make a decision, you always take the decision to, uh, to be on the safe side, which is usually not the fast one. Um, So it's a very fine balance. Uh, Imagine you don't know if you have a puncher, you don't know if you have a problem, you need to stop the car, otherwise the car will just like go up and and burn in flames, you know. You need need answers and there is no time there to uh, um, be, you know, stopped by uh, um, fears, by uh, stress, by pressure. Uh, At that point, you only need to Focus on what you have in front of you, not what you have done in the past. If you've done a mistake ten minutes earlier, one hour earlier, one year earlier, it doesn't matter. You only look forward. You only you only look at the next corner, what can ha- happen next, and you focus on that. And you try to keep as as your mind as clear as possible and as involved as possible on what you're doing. That that's the only way I found um, to work around like such. A, um, as you're saying, like such a, a pressure from the outside, if it makes sense.
0: Speaking of going up in flames, um, last weekend, or yeah, last weekend marked the year I don't want to call it anniversary, but the year mark since Roman Grosjean's crash. Uh, yeah. and you were his performance, you were performance engineer on his side, um, during that race. Could you take us through the beginning of the race and his horrible accident?
1: Yeah, so, uh, it's basically like, uh, I think everybody saw it, but we, uh, we, uh, I didn't realize it at the beginning. So that the race started, then you, you focus when the race starts, your focus is in turn one, turn two, you make sure, you know, you don't have any contact that, you know, can, can, uh, puncture one of your tires or, you know, uh, you have people looking at, um, the car health in general, like pressure taps to, uh, understand if you, you you've broken like some wings here, or there, or, or, you know, you look at suspension loads and everything. And, and, um, I was very focused on those data as usual. So that's a business as usual. And then at one point the telemetry stopped, which, it, which it happens as well at times. Um, you might have a, you know, a bad coverage somewhere and the telemetry just stops. Um, it, the thing is that it never did it in, um, in that point during the weekend, so I was a little bit suspicious, and you know the speed was very high, It's like over two uh, two twenty, and uh, and um and I had a uh, you know I had like you you build your own workbook when you when you work and and you look at the telemetry, so I had a little alarm on on the um, accelerometers, and that went red, and if that comes red, then it means that one of the accelerometers went over, um, so it's a very very likely that you crashed but I couldn't really I couldn't see anything because they didn't show it it was like three or four seconds and you're like I think it's us I think we crashed and and then you know people that were looking at the onboard, which I wasn't they realized like probably a little bit sooner so uh yeah um then I, I looked at uh, another like screen and I saw the flames up and yeah, it was uh, it was very powerful to see that. That That's where you really, uh, you can react in two ways there, Sander. You can stop thinking and just freeze. Or you can keep going and try to be rational. And unfortunately, it happened to me as well in, in other times. So I think the first time that a crash light, like like a, a very heavy crash of one of my driver happened, like I froze, but then I worked on it. As you, as as I was saying before, like you you analyze what you've done and you try to uh, you know keep your keep your shit together and and when that happened, you know we were like let's try to call him, let's try to let's try let's see if he if he's awake. And then we were calling him on the radio, call him, call him. And thing is, um, you know, the race engineer was calling him, and uh, and then we realized that the radio was on the other side of the car, so it's like oh <laughs> oh. Yeah it was it was very long cuz really like when you're looking at it and you don't hear anything in on the radio it's like that silence uh you start thinking um about the worst. but uh, for some reason you know he has found again you know procedures and preparation you know roman is very is a, is a huge professional um he um he un- unbuckled his seatbelts and he just took the wheel off as a first thing and he tried to get out he couldn't find a way and then um, he, yeah, he he didn't realize that there were flames you know when I spoke with him and he, he said it already like a few times Like he didn't realize there were flames so he he just realized that um, he had to come out of there once he understood that there was fire Um and it came out of that, incredibly. Um, when we saw it, it was like, wow. Insane. So, you know, th- those 30 seconds went off very slowly for me. Like, very, the, the longest, like, 30 seconds I had, especially when I realized that there was not much else we could do, you know, um, and not knowing what was happening in the car. You know, if, if he's there and he's telling you stuff, then you can, you know, suggest, do this, do that, but... Um, there was no radio communication, and uh, um, and seeing that like that man climbing out of the car is his, his, when I see it, I still have goosebumps. And, um,
0: it's such an yeah, it's unimaginable powerful. sight, and I can imagine it must have been a very incredibly awful for his family, but for you guys as well, being trackside, um, just yeah, awaiting those yeah. 20, 20, 20 what seconds. Before he comes out, before you see him rise like, like a freaking phoenix. Yeah, yeah,
1: no, I, yeah, exactly. Like, like a phoenix, you're right, from the ashes. The, um, the, um, that part is like, as I said, like you kind of like adrenaline is in. I was, uh, for me mentally, I think has been more difficult the after, um, the aftermath of the, uh, of the crash because, um, my mind was only like, was stuck basically to those images. And at one point I needed to uh, keep working and, you know, Pietro was coming in the car. So um, that we had a new driver um, that, you know, we worked with together before, but um, it's one thing on a test. And then the other thing is in the race week and he wants to perform well. And, and so you need to help him out. So I, uh, yeah, I have really had to pull it together and, uh, and, uh, and try to, uh, you know, find the energy and the mental energy to, uh, go ahead and work for another two weeks, um, till the end of the season. Um, especially, you know, the day after the, the, the evening, we went to the, we went to the, uh, hospital to see him, um, a few hours and, uh, and it was all right in the end, you know, he, it was there with his end up there and we were joking you know we we had to we had to go and play tennis uh the day after um so I brought my racket from from home and I, when I saw him like that I was like come on you didn't have to go through all this just not to play because you were scared of losing <laughs> and he was laughing so he was like he was completely in his mind and um and yeah um really um really uh Uh, good to see him and I actually like seeing him in that spirit then it definitely gave me extra energy um, to go ahead you know a a driver is is usually like some drivers for me like almost all of them like all of them I can say this for all of them um, they're very inspiring people Um, then you know you you look up to him and or her um, and um, and it's very uh, it's it's very powerful like even you know when they say something, when they do something, it's it's inspiring. So looking at him in such a good spirit it gave media the push to go, um, to go forward and um, and finish the season. And then when he came back to the truck, it was you know even more energy for the whole team because um, it, as you are saying, it, it was a shock for everybody. You know, when, when the car came back, all burned, you know, with his shoe like still stuck in in there and. It was like, a scary yeah.
0: situation, man. Scary.
1: Yeah, I remember the um, the Monday morning. Um, I had to dive myself into work because I, uh, I just couldn't bear to stay without, like you know, doing nothing. It just like it was everywhere. Now with the media and everything, you cannot open your phone, and those images were everywhere. I couldn't watch it. I couldn't. I couldn't do it no more. I couldn't watch it. I, Instagram, um, Facebook, LinkedIn, every like newspaper, and you're like, you know, every time you see it, something, is is rumbling in your body. So I went to work, and um, and then I found Pietro that was there uh, in the garage looking at the car. And I was like, you ought to jump in the car. In two days, you don't need to see this stuff. Let's go. And you know, I helped him out, but he helped me out a lot because you know we are. Uh, we, I kind of, he kind of like helped me in the sense that he, he was asking a lot of questions. You know, you can imagine like you jumping in a Formula One car. So we really dived into uh, working and preparing the next uh, race together. And uh, and actually, I was very proud of what he did. Um, it really like working with him it was like a super fresh. Uh, start again and you know a lot of things to think about rather than what you've just gone through what you have just experienced so yeah um luckily that was that uh that does out to uh, move forward
0: how do you feel now a year after i mean these these images have been popping up back and forth everywhere facebook instagram linkedin yeah. as well how do you feel about it looking looking back now is this something that you still have to uh, talk to roman about uh, about
1: yeah i mean me, me and roman we, we we talk a lot like uh, through through whatsapp and stuff we call and and, uh, and i sent him a message the other day just to say hey happy rebirthday because literally like he he went through uh he went he, he met he met dad, the the dead and uh, and then he came back you know he went to hell literally and came back so i think um, yeah, once you experience something like this, you, you kind of have a link to that person. Um, and I feel it. Uh, and I'm so, uh, yeah, I'm so glad that you know, uh, we, we can talk about it now and it's it's fine. I can, I can see it. when I see, it, I still think, how the did he how did he make it out of there? It is, if you look at it, it is like incredible, you know. I, yeah, yeah. it's just, um, But in the end, I know, I know why, you know, like he, um, when you, when you have a driver that has has driven so much in his life, um, certain actions are automatic. Um, they're, they're, um, um, they come from their subconscious. So they don't even know that they're doing it. You know, when I spoke with him, he didn't realize he had, um, um, taken the wheel off the car, but he did from the camera you can tell he did so you know his first reaction was wheel out of the way and unbuckle the seatbelts and and that's you know that's that's 40 percent of coming out of there alive if you don't have the strength to resist such a crash so the physical preparation the mental reaction of taking those things out um and you panic you don't stay calm, you're gonna you're not gonna come out of that fire.
0: And, um, and a Formula One
1: driver is yeah, a Formula One driver is somebody that you know has those mechanisms embedded in him. Especially with such an experience as Roman. So yeah. Um it takes increas- it's incredible incredible
0: presence of mind to yeah. be able to hey, apparently his his mind just took over and instantly went into that survival mode. It's really insane to see. Yeah. But it's also underpinning how save these cars have gotten. And sometimes it's not too much fun to watch it. that cars never break down anymore. But if you compare this to, yeah. let's say 20, 30 years ago, I mean, if this, you had the weekend, the horrible weekend in Imola in, in the early nineties, where both Roland Ratzenberger, as well as Erton Senna, unfortunately passed away. And now, which seemingly were very minor accidents. If you look at Senna's, he just hit a wall. Roman went hit a wall went through it exploded the car was completely messed up and he still was able basically to walk away by himself yeah it does underpin yeah, how I incredibly think... safe these cars have gotten yeah,
1: it is incredible it is incredible if you think about it as you're saying the comparison with like 20 years ago is just just unfair you now the uh, the steps that they have done but it, it, that you don't even need to go too far back you know just look at what happened to uh jewel bianchi um in suzuka and uh you know just the elo being there which which you know initially roman wasn't in favor of it when he saw it he didn't like it um but uh, and then he i heard him i didn't know i heard him saying in an interview with rosberg a few days ago and uh he mentioned that he didn't like it and then you know uh um John Todd asked him, "You still don't like it now?" When he was in the hospital, And he said, "Well, only the dumbest don't change their mind." Um, <laughs> and, uh, and you know, he uh, he's totally right. Like that, just just that device has has helped many drivers um, lately. Not, not only him. Um, just just think about like when was it? I think I think Alonso of, like in, in a crash in in um, Spa. Spa over over Leclerc with the, with this tire, like you can see the the tire mark on the on the halo. If that yeah. that thing wasn't there, but that tire would have hit the uh, the helmet of Leclerc. So, um,
0: and it's the same with with I, I, this year and Max and uh, Max and Lewis, where Max exactly. parked his car after a nudge of of Lewis. If the Absolutely. halo wasn't there,
1: I'm not sure how they would have ended up. Yeah, that's your head supporting 800 kilos of car, so it's not. Is not, um, yeah. You don't even want to think what what could happen. But I think now nowadays they're they're very safe. They uh, when they crash, you're always very scared because in the end it's still like a, a body in there that can resist only certain accelerations. So I think that's the you you've come to that you come to the body preparation in the end to uh, resist to a certain stress. But um, in the car so far um it, it proved to be very very good
0: incredible thank you for sharing the story of, of roman and how you guys yeah. were on on your side of the, the pit wall now on a more joyful part you're next to performance engineer You're also the creator of the pdr process the perception decision and reaction uh, process talk to us about that
1: yeah so uh at one point like still related to how you work with the driver basically, but at one point I uh, I realized that um there is a lot of engineering, especially race engineering, um that uh we are applying when you're when we're working with a driver and um and there is a fine line between the engineering itself as a technical knowledge and the uh, uh the way you uh, interact with the driver. Um and that's that's exactly like where this PDR process um, that I put together comes in the picture. Um, in the end, a driver is a, is a, is a person that um, has a very specific skills and capabilities. So I figured that, you know, we always try to make the driver as fast as possible. So we, we he works on his physical preparation, on his, on his mental preparation, um, and he works a lot with, with the guys, with the engineers, um, with the mechanics. To optimize everything so in the end what i uh, put together is just the process of um of driving uh, a car in in his own um totality like um, basically i tried to take the driver uh, job and divide it in three areas it's, it's difficult to discretize like a, a such a continuous and fluid action as driving and is such a difficult problem to fix and to optimize. So as an engineer, what you do, you take a very complicated system and you break it down into simpler problems and you can work on each problem to try to optimize the whole result. So if you split up your driving in three areas, I figured the perception area, the decision area and the reaction area, then you can highlight some uh, points, some areas for each of them, um, and you can work on each one of those little areas and, and improve in li- in that little area so that you can optimize that phase. And the combination of the three phases, then it gives you a better result in terms of performance. So uh, basically, the idea is to work on the perception area, such as, you know, your a balance evaluation, your perception of what is going on around you, your your mental preparation, um, and try to optimize like all these little items, you know, and then work on your decision process, work on on your uh, decision area, how to make a decision, uh, what what to use when you're when you have to make a decision, you know, visualize all the option if you have time. Um, learn from your decisions. so have a re- decision review process and so on and, and and move forward from there if you have time to make a decision you know sometimes you know this process you know driving is not only like deciding what tie you need to fit or if you need to pass somebody on the inside or the outside but you have to um, um, sometimes you have to consider that there are like calculated decision and instinctive decision and the instinctive one, then they just like, they're there in your subconscious and they're, it's part of your experience. So you can work on that. You can understand how to improve your own library of perceptions so that you can use them to have an instinctive decision and reaction um, later on. And uh, and then finally, there is the reaction area where you can really like train your um, you know, reaction performance in terms of um reaction time in terms of like and then you work on you know the cues that it works works best for you and what what tools you can use to improve your reaction area such as simulators for example or you know there are like specific training programs done by the the physios that work with the driver that go and affect all these areas so basically like trying to get um the driving Uh, action, try to break it down into pieces and, and work out like um, an optimization for each part, trying to make the overall driver faster.
0: That's awesome. Um, Because this really ties back together with, for instance, the scrum framework and the entire core concept of agile, making things transparent, being able to have your inspection based on the, the transparency and then make a decision, adapt. The way that you want to move forward. How important is it to really learn continuously rather than just, I don't know, just going on in the flow that you, that you followed in the plan, for instance, that you, you create a plan and you just blindly follow it. How important is it in formula one to continuously learn and evolve?
1: Ah, it's, it's the base. It's the baseline of it. Um, as a nature of the sport, things are always changing and the, the rules are changing the the teams that you're competing against are getting better so you need to keep developing you need to uh, keep learning from what you have done study what you have done study the data you have available and and keep learning for the next race and the next challenge and so on um, it is I'll, I'll probably say that's the best part of my job that I, I love the most like I never stopped. Really studying, I never stopped Really, um, there is not such a thing as a as an up, up, update course in this job. You you uh, you update yourself as you're going. You know, you just study this and study that. Study. You know, I have books on my uh, on my uh, on my desk continuously at, at work, and you know, you, you keep doing your math. You keep you keep um, working on the little detail that you think are going to be worth like a split of a second or like 10 milliseconds we, you, if you put together 100 gains of 10 milliseconds then you start to put together a decent amount of time so um yeah there's no such a thing as oh, i'm done i never I, I stop now i don't i don't learn anymore um if you do that i guess you fall back very easily um
0: yeah Learning is key for survival.
1: Absolutely, man. Absolutely.
0: Now we're speaking of books. We're in the beginning of December. It's almost Christmas. And we have Ernie Claus, who wrote a book called Formula One, Race Engineering, Optimizing a Driver Performance with a Winning Method. And you're giving it away, right? Yeah, absolutely. Tell us about the book. Yeah, so
1: um, it came out as an idea, but um, at the beginning, as we just said, I was just putting together notes and, and writing down what I've done in the years with, with my drivers and trying to, you know, um, keep learning on what I've done and 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 improve myself on what I've done. So um, I started like that. And then at one point, you know, my wife was reading through some notes and goes she was like, Look, I think this might be helpful to somebody else, you know, this is your experience, why don't you make it a book? It may be useful to people and, uh, and she was right. So um so uh, I uh, I started like writing it as a as if it was a book at that point and uh, and it came out uh, I think very interesting because it shares I think experience that you do not learn um at school, but I would have been so happy somebody would have told me such things beforehand. Uh, you know you can definitely start it from there as a as a suggestion as a starting point and then keep developing on that and trying maybe to find the next step to optimize even more to uh, to work with the driver in a different way. Um, there are plenty of ways to work with the driver, to work with somebody, but in general like I see that as more as a um a guideline and an ideas for the people that want to approach motorsport, the driver itself, because you know a lot of I've worked with a lot of young drivers and they have no idea how to approach um, a weekend beforehand. So sometimes you really need to go through them and brief them on what you're going to do hour by hour during those days. Um, So it's important that they are open minded and and they know what are the areas to uh, work on. So I really wrote that. Thinking about students, thinking about, like, you know, possible engineers. They're thinking about, like, people that are passionate, that want to know more about the background that um, we go through every day in Formula One when we uh, talk with the driver, when we're preparing for a race weekend. What what are the areas that are important for him to make a difference um, and for the driver itself? So I think I is think a, a useful, like, starting point and and bucket of ideas for people that really like motorsport
0: yeah sounds like indeed the holy bible when it comes to getting started with this now if you're listening and you're very interested in ernie's experience and you want to get into motorsports you want to know more about this we want you to let us know what your favorite memory is memory is or experience when it comes to formula one i'll include the link in the notes where you can post uh, your picture, your video, your thoughts, whatever, the more visual it is, the better we like it. But Ernie is going to sign it for you and send it to you. Uh, Absolutely. Would be an yeah, yeah. awesome Christmas present, wouldn't it?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. You guys send us the, uh, the, uh, your, your best memory and, um, and we'll go through it. And we'll definitely have a, a lot of like a deal of great time to go through all of them and, uh, and decide which one is the winner. But what, what's your, What's your best memory, Sander?
0: And that's there a really great have. question. Uh, thank you for asking. It was actually this year where I had the luck to go to the Zandvoort Formula One Grand Prix together with, mo- with my mom. We were sitting in a sun-overflown, over-flooded, or sun-flooded grandstand just across Max Verstappen's pit box. Seeing him take the pole position, seeing him take the win in such a massive orange sea, it was incredible. Nothing is that ever best, going to compete yeah, with that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, going back to Zambor this year is definitely one of the, the best memories I have from this year as well, because you know, it was the first time we we really had people back at the truck and the atmosphere was just insane. Um, going into the truck in the morning, everybody was super nice. And, you know, I stopped by on my walk to the truck and chopped ch- my way with people and, you know, took pictures, have had a laugh and as... It's really cool to raise there yeah yeah Um really looking forward to it next year
0: i'm glad you enjoyed the weekend too man now for those listening i i got a few questions up front from a couple of people uh, how do you get into formula one how can you find a job what are the requirements what type of people can start there well you have
1: different ways it depends on you know there are a lot of positions in formula 1 uh, not only engineers um but i would say there are two ways the first one is out of uni um if you if you uh, are were lucky enough to uh, have an internship somewhere and you know start to create your contact in the industry then if you've done a good job probably the team that you work with uh that you did your internship with then is going to call you back because they invested time in you and um it It happens more than often that you know they select the best people that, that they they uh, had and they call them back or um the other way, which is the one that I followed because I didn't have the an opportunity to uh, do an internship you know this this internship they come up especially with like um uh, in u k with with u k uh, teams that if you're studying in a in a in an English university um if you are in italy then maybe you can do something like that with also uh, Alpha tauri uh, pardon me um uh, force habit um or uh, ferrari um or Dallara. But in, in my case i um, i went to Dallara um through my thesis project and then i started my motorsport job through there and uh, i worked my way up through uh, other series um uh, so IndyCar, nascar and then and, and lmp one in in germany with toyota and uh, then when I, I kept applying during those years in, you know, when I saw like a position that, um, it was interesting for me and I did interview, I failed and I failed and I failed again, but you don't <laughs> give up. You keep, you keep doing it. And sometimes you don't fail, but somebody else is better than you. So they tell you, oh, look, we found somebody with more experience. Fair enough. And you keep interviewing and you keep pushing on it until, um, Luckily, it was my, uh, my day when I applied for, uh, for um, um, Haas in F1 and, uh, and they uh, were looking for somebody with my experience. So um, just that whatever happens, just don't stop trying and, and never give up, you know.
0: So persistence is key there.
1: Absolutely.
0: Um, I do think that people have this perception that every job in Formula One makes a lot of money. I mean, not not everyone makes the same amount as Lewis Hamilton or Max Verstappen. I mean, these dudes are multi, multi, multi multi-millionaire. But a team has more than 400 people. Mm. Does everyone make a million dollars?
1: No. (laughs) No, they don't. Um, No, it's definitely like uh, it's every other job. Like your salary goes up with experience um, and it's based on what? you bring to the team as well. So what experience you've done in the past, you know, if you come out of uni, it's not going to be paid three times what your mates are doing in another job, just because it's formula one. No, um, in, in the end, it's, it's all down to what you uh, bring to the team, what you bring to the table, your experience. And, um, and if you count the amount of hours that you're working, yeah, the salary are, are like high, high enough for, uh, um, uh, standard um, in the engineering e- industry, but they're not the highest in the world. And if you count the amount of hours and the sacrifices that you uh, do, you know, we, we talked about traveling and stuff when you're away from home 220, 240 days per year, then you need to give, a, you need to, uh, you know, um, take that in consideration as well when you look at the salary and the hours. So um, traveling. Is fun, but it's not only fun, and um, and there are a lot of sacrifices there. So um, it pays; it, it has to pay more, I think. Like by by default, it has to pay more than other job, especially for the sacrifices. But in the end, it's a normal job with normal salaries, um, and they are aligned to the amount of work that we do, as every other as any other job.
0: And you mentioned earlier in the beginning of this recording um, that it's really about the passion. So this ties back together with uh, a common thread in this this podcast series in look into what your energy is and where what feeds you energy, what your passion is. And I guess if you if motorsport really is your passion, then this would be a great fit. Um, I want to avoid people having this romanticized image of this space. A lot you are always in the limelight. This is, this is a job that you're guaranteed for life. It's highly competitive. It takes a lot of sacrifices. It doesn't make you a millionaire, but you seem to be enjoying it. Yeah. No, no.
1: Like if you do this job, you don't do it for the money. You do it because you like it. Um, because you like the lifestyle, you know, me and my wife, we have moved the house five times in the last five years, um, (laughs) and and you know we rent out like here and there so we we still don't own a house of our like ourselves because we're just renting out and uh um and uh so that that itself is already saying that you know because we're moving you now we lived in, in 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 us i lived in us in we lived in germany in italy in uk and we moved houses twice some sometimes so um Already that is telling you that it's a lifestyle in in, in itself. And there are plenty of my colleagues that, um, you know, commute for two hours um, or, you know, they uh, they stop traveling at one point because they have kids or, you know, they stop. They, they travel for five years then they stop a couple of years, then they travel again. Um, in the end, you do this job because you love it. Um, the money comes out, comes after, but it's not it's not the the prime reason they There are probably people that make, uh, millions, um, but they are the team principal and then, you know, those level there, and they have a huge lot of responsibility. So sometimes, you know, they have to take decisions that I wouldn't want to take. Um, so it's, you know, everything comes down to responsibility that you have. Um, and, uh, and, and, um, the amount of sacrifices that you do. So, um, at one point really like you need to think about this job for everybody, any person that wants to do wants to work in motorsport has to think that uh, as to as to want to work in motorsport, because he loves it, not because of the money involved. Otherwise, you don't go too far.
0: Is there a specific portal or any other point of contact where people can go to to apply for Formula one jobs or is that something specific to each team is it that something that's just global
1: i am uh, yeah i always i always um, suggest to look at uh, any team um, website first uh, because they have their ads there so um, if you want to apply for a position that is out you go there otherwise you know there are plenty of like websites like race staff motorsportjob.com uh, through LinkedIn you find a lot of, of them. Um so now I've named two or three of them. I just I, I don't want to name them all and I don't want to um uh, disrespect anybody but you know there are plenty of of, of websites where a job gets get posted um and, and yeah LinkedIn as well is a very a very good platform to use um to uh, to look for uh, for positions.
0: And I found you through LinkedIn. See? Yeah, so it,
1: but, you know, as, as as we got in contact center, like I, uh, I really like use it a lot because, you know, it's it's very powerful and it brings together people from different countries, different uh, background, but with common passions, you know, and, and that's, that's great as it happened to us. So, yeah, keep using that. That's good.
0: Ernesto, thank you very much for being here. Thank you for telling us. About the, the performance engineering, about Roman uh, Grosjean's story, and I'm glad he's seemed to be doing very well in, in the U.S. He's having a lot of success, so it's good to see that. Oh,
1: yeah.
0: About the book, about the PDR process. Thank you very much for being here, man.
1: I appreciate it. Really, really pleasure. I had fun for one hour chatting with you about motorsport, about this, and uh, yeah. Um, we'll be waiting for the favorite moments of the people to send out the uh, the book and uh it was it was very fun thank you very much
0: i appreciate it thank you very much man i don't know about you guys but i was tense as hell when i was listening to ernie speak about the accident of roman groja i was tense looking at the race live i was tense again now next to that i really liked his humbleness and how he's able to transfer his knowledge into a book as well as helping people into the business, sharing his passion, being so open and modest about it. I really appreciate it. And I hope you guys liked it too. Now again, go, go to the website, masteringagility.org, subscribe to that newsletter, get that OptiLearn discount code, as well as the latest information when it comes to the podcast. We're almost nearing Christmas, almost nearing the end of the year. We have a couple of episodes left for the 2021 year. Stay tuned. Hopefully. Hearing you back next week. Until then, guys.